As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Now you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown, the first show of 2023. Celtic are still top of the SBFL by nine points after a two-all draw at Ibrox against Rangers on Derby Day on Monday. Kyogo rescuing a draw for Celtic late on, but as they say, Celtic do not stop. I'm delighted to say that we don't stop either because Jico James and Alan Morrison is here with me as always. Gentlemen, Happy New Year. How are you? Yeah, Happy New Year, except for those two weeks we stopped. But other than that, just ignore that. Yeah, that was a flu-induced stoppage. And the three weeks before that, when we had the World Cup, when we also stopped, you can also ignore that. But when there's football on, we're rarely not here. So we're back, we're here, it's 2023, and Celtic are still top of the league by nine points after a Derby Day draw. It was a tense game, a tight game, one that looked for a long period of that second half, Alan, that Celtic were going to lose it and, uh, you know, given Michael Beale saying that they were only three points uh, behind Celtic before the game, then that nine-point deficit that they had going into it would have just disappeared and there would have been parity within the the SPFL. But thankfully, Kyogo rescued Celtic at the depth and here we are still top of the league. I think the most, uh, for the most part, the fans are all in agreement that this is a positive in many ways because even though Celtic didn't play well, they still managed to come away with a point apiece. Yeah, indeed. So listen, happy new year all. Um, yeah, I, I think it was positive in ways which I didn't realise at the time. I don't think I, I can remember such a game where my feelings during the game, uh, as I was watching the game, were of intense frustration and, and irritation and annoyance with how Celtic were playing compared to how I feel today, which is, is completely different. And, and and I think, you know, the reason for that is, and oh, and by the way, I'm impressed that you said that you were listening to what Mickey Beale was saying, because you must live in a different universe where there are perhaps 36 hours in the day to be able to listen to everything that Mickey Beale says, because my goodness, does he like to talk? <laughs> I mean, on and on and on, day after day. He's fantastic. I, I like him. I, I absolutely made up that he's he's their manager. I'm, I'm so looking forward to the next few months, maybe. I don't know how long it's going to last, but yeah, he's going to be hugely entertaining. Anyway, back to, back to Celtic, of course. So listen, any analysis of this game for me really um, sort of starts and almost ends with, with Ange before the game. 
and you know, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm a, as you know, I'm an, as you're an avid Mickey Beale watcher. I'm an avid Ange watcher, and and the reason for that is because he he, he says he speaks the truth. He speaks the truth, and he says what he wants to say, um, and he, and he and he's not one for bullshit, and he's not one for playing mind games or anything like that. So what he what he says something is it's it's for a reason. He means it, and, and it's generally the truth. And he said before the game, there's been a bug in the squad, and it wasn't. He, he didn't. He didn't make a big fuss about it. It wasn't a big deal. He just he slipped it in as to explain why James Forrest was starting, basically. Um, and I and I sort of it, you know it was in the pre-match and I was like you know thinking about a million things and so forth and it never really didn't really sort of hit me until I started watching the game and then afterwards what really struck me again was because I was sitting there going and I'll explain why I was furious as I was watching the game and then at the end of the game he he came on and he goes. That was a bloody good game, wasn't it? And it's like, is that Ange? You know, is, is, is Mrs. Ange swapped Ange, you know, for Christmas for some sort of, uh, you know, happy-go-lucky uncle, you know? He was really chilled. He was laid back. He was relaxed. He just watched. I'm, I'm confident now that when I watch Celtic performance, and I think that was really poor. There were so many poor aspects to that. I can be pretty confident that Ange has come to much the same conclusion. He was, he was, he was ever so happy. And he was quite content with things. And I come back to, you know, come back to this this issue of there was a bug in the camp. Now, you know, my understanding is this wasn't like a normal bug like you and I've had Ender where we've had a bit of a cough, bit of man flu, day in bed, maybe feeling a bit rough. This is like <laughs> things coming out of, uh, of of all ends type of serious, like winter sort of uh, you know, vomiting type thing. And, and, and a number of players had been pretty badly affected. And, we, and I think, you know, we saw unexpected um, lineup changes. Now, this again, this is not an Ange um, feature. He doesn't spring surprise. He doesn't play silly buggers. He doesn't try and second guess himself. He, is not, he doesn't get cute with lineups. So, you know, Johnson was thrown in. Forrest, you know, who's, let's be honest, our fifth choice winger was, was played out, uh, out wide. And uh, when 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 Taylor was injured, Juranovic was chucked on on at left back. So I think it's very difficult, really, to 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 analyse from a performance perspective when you don't know who's been suffering physically and was basically you know patched up to get through that game. And it would have been not one player, but many. Um, versus there would have been some that were unaffected and, you know, probably the likes of maybe Maeda and Kyogo looked pretty, pretty fit and strong, to be fair, and, and as did Alistair Johnson. Um, and so, uh, whereas I could sit here and we could talk about Juranovic and Forrest and Joe Hart and probably some other people, um, I, I don't feel that I want to go down that road from a performance analysis perspective because I think that this this um, this bug was had a major impact on on Celtic's performance. And so, mm. you know, my frustration really came about because I, th- I thought that in the first half, having scored a goal after five minutes, it, it seemed to me what was seeping through the television screen w- was that Celtic were one goal away from that home crowd being an absolute revolt and it all was collapsing around them. If Celtic had scored one more goal, gone in two 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 nil at half time, I think you would have seen. If I, if I say if I say the crowd are revolting, it's the obvious joke. But you know what you know what you know what I, what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was my frustration that we didn't effectively 
you know, put our foot on their throat and, and press down. But I kind of understand now why that, that wasn't the case. And actually, I've come round to the view that the draw was almost, the, the draw and the manner of it was almost the perfect outcome because that hope was dangled for 35 minutes in the second half. That place had hope that there was a title race to be had there. And the silence, the absolute silence, when Kyogo scored that goal, it, it, it was a thing of utter beauty. And I think, mm. but it didn't destroy their hope utterly because there's still this outside chance. There's this little, little whole bit of hope to cling on to. Um, so in some respects, from a sort of um, sort of shits and giggles perspective rather than an analytical perspective, I thought it was almost like the perfect result, to be fair. Yeah, so and not many stats from me today, this, but yeah. Well, um, you mentioned the starting lineup. I think there were a lot of people, especially some of the ones that were commented <clears> under <throat> the videos on this channel uh, in the aftermath of the game, were quite critical of Ange and the team selection and leaving the likes of Jota out of the team, for example. I think you, you can almost guess who had the flu or who had this virus based on who was left out, because I think, as you say, the obvious choices would have been the players on the pitch if, and it's a big if, if this flu had not been running through the team. So I don't think we would have saw Johnson get his debut. I don't think we would have saw Forrest starting and potentially we'll see who who may or may not have, have been the first and second choice subs as well coming onto the pitch as Celtic chased the game, uh, probably had the, the flu or had the worst version of it as well. Um, James, we'll talk about why this happened uh, a bit later on in the show and in more depth, but I think one word you could use to describe Celtic's performance was sloppy. This was quite a sloppy performance in terms of the passing, a lot of loose passes given away and a lot of dangerous ones as well. It wasn't as if they were giving the ball away, you know, at the edge of Rangers box. This was simple passes coming out of the defense, being intercepted, being turned over and Rangers on the, the transition very quickly as well. So sloppy would be one way of describing this. Sloppy, but also, um, you know, I, I think it's was made clear in that game that we're back to the future, um, most likely with the Beal regime, which is to say that uh, you know they lined up in uh, what became their patented Christmas tree formation <laughs> um, under Gerard and um, when, when Beal was his assistant, and you know that is not. When you have uh, a degree of athletic players like they do, um, they they didn't high press all that much, so they were relatively mid block, compact, narrow in that Christmas tree. It just doesn't leave a lot of space, and I I, I just looked up the numbers out of curiosity because uh, I I'm I'm trying to bring something different because I agree with almost everything that Alan said so far, right? So the 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 externality issue here of of uh, potential sickness going through i mean that's you can't quantify it and, and obviously could be a material impact but if you go back to the 1819 season when they basically had half our wage bill um and the likes of kyle lafferty were, were a meaningful uh, position player playing for them and and Kadich was at center back for example um in aggregate over the four league games they actually accumulated a higher xg than we did and that was with um, uh, about 60 minutes, I think, of, of the March fixture after Morales had been sent off and they were down to the 10 men. Um, so that, 
us struggling to break down this Christmas tree is not a new phenomenon, right? So I thought I'd bring that to the table. Uh, it's not easy. It's 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 it isolates our striker. Um, it happened when Edward was 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 there, even when he would drop deep and get much more involved in play than how Anza's strikers do. Uh, so. Uh, and, and really, if you if you if you break down the game, I actually had the the one thing I disagree with Alan, and this was it's not a disagreement. It's I had a different experience than him. Is I actually came away from the game um, relieved and kind of like, oh okay, you know, we didn't play that bad. I mean, it was sloppy, but both teams it was a bit of a mess game, quite frankly, which you know isn't all that uncommon in the derbies. So I thought it was just kind of one of those traditional kind of chaotic, crappy. Um, uh, December type of games. And uh, when I went back and watched a lot of it and looked at the, the, the data, I mean, basically if you boil it down, we had two chances of substance and they were both to a degree luck. Um, you know, you had the first, and they were both goals, right? So, um, you know, basically uh, uh, as Alan likes to say, three, three mistakes <laughs> create a goal. Well, they, they had, you know, three mistakes in that sequence with the Morales pass and then Tavernier doing whatever the hell he did. And made it with a nice finish, but then, you know, Grandpa McGregor, you know, playing like Grandpa McGregor, not not really doing uh, what a keeper should in, in a one-on-one situation. And then the second goal was basically three separate deflections that happened to bounce our way <laughs> and, and set, you know, put, get set up a lot on a tee for, for, uh, for Kyogo. So outside of that, you had the one cross from force that um you know Kyogo kind of fluffed that was it i mean there there was really nothing there was, else there was one um, ball across the six yard box from aida that was absolutely exceptional but i was there a was nice near it. right right yeah so that, that, though the the Kyogo was the only one where you could reasonably say okay we had a shot maybe at a, at a good shot um everything else was like a distance block shot just not a lot. And again, you get back to this issue of when they're that narrow, that compact and say what you will, they, they do have some um, athleticism. Um, that's tough. And, and so do I think that uh, the sickness issue and the selection issue and all that probably contributed it? I mean, that certainly makes sense to me. Um, but this is probably going to be a challenge going forward. Not that we can't overcome it, not that, you know, but it, it's going to be different. We talked about it last season with, with uh, uh, Van Brockworth is he's a little bit more chaotic in his tactics and, you know, that created some opportunity for us. And I, I'd be shocked if this doesn't become the norm again under Beal, at least head to head, is that we're going to face that kind of rigid, narrow Christmas tree. And, um, you know, um, it, 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 I, I think we'll figure some, a, a way out, um, but, you know, it's going to be a challenge. It's funny how the narrative of a game can change as it progresses along. And I, I texted into the group chat in the first half after Celtic dominated possession for 30 odd minutes before the Joe Hart fluff that, you know, turned the, the momentum of the game saying that you can, you can almost tell which side has a set of principles that they play to and which side we're up for the match and we're getting stuck into them. Like that's what, that's how the, the game felt. It felt like Celtic were far superior in terms of their tactics, their, their ability to maintain calm under pressure. And, and then Joe Hart fluffs his lines and everything just becomes chaos from that point on, especially in the second half 
that seemed to switch the the momentum of the game. Yeah, but um, what 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 did all that control result in? That was the issue, right? So this comes back to this issue of this Christmas tree, right? So I actually thought they'd come out, you know, guns blazing. Given the situation, I thought they'd really press us high and come and come at us, and they didn't. They they were, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like I said in that midfield block. Uh, so yeah, we controlled the ball. We passed the ball around a lot, sloppily at times. But I'm looking at the data right now. Outside of that Maeda chance in the first half, we had three other shots, and they were all from distance. And but know, I think gonna... it was more. And it, I know it didn't turn out like this, but it felt like Celtic were one 0 up. Rangers had had to win this game. Had to win this game. Celtic had taken control. They 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 got the first goal. They were controlling the ball. Rangers couldn't get anywhere near them, and it almost felt as if Celtic were going to kill them morally first. And then eventually they would create a chance that would lead to the second goal, but it didn't seem to happen. Um, Alan, what what do you think does happen after this, after the heart fluff? Do you think it's a crowd thing where it switches the momentum or am I overblowing uh, the turn of events that happen after that? No, I think, I think, you know, as I've said before, it's easy to focus on moments and that was a moment. Um, There had been no danger until that point, mainly because they, they were incapable of passing the ball from one blue shirt to another. I mean, their passing was just awful. I mean, ours wasn't good, but we were doing one, two, three passes, and then, oh, well, they were doing one pass, and then, uh, and then, uh, and then, oh. And we, we were, and so we, so it looked like we had control, and we did up to a point, but we just, you know, we struggled, right? I mean, Maida was having joy getting past Tavernier, but you know, with Maida, it's going to be a burst of pace. And then it's going to be a pretty straightforward next action. And then so you've got to get on the end of it. It's not going to be a trick. It's not going to be anything too subtle, if you like. And then on the other side, we had, you know, dear old James, who, you know, zero expected scoring contribution in the game. You know, I think his days of being able to blast past people at this level are, are probably gone. Unfortunately, as much as I think he was a sort of steady shape with him in the team in front of Johnston, it really gave us nothing kind of going forward other than occasionally he turned inside and found an interesting pass back into the midfield. But in terms of attacking width, attacking threat from that, that position, we were really struggling. And, and as James said, um, there was a thicket of bodies between the rest of the team and Kyogo. So, we, we we struggled to get anything beyond that third or fourth pass, but but because their passing was so abysmal, um, we we at least controlled the game to, to a large extent. I, I I don't think the I think the heart incident certainly turned the crowd a little bit from being almost rebellious uh, to to having a little bit of hope. But I think it was the Taylor Taylor going off injured was far more material to the turn of the flow in the game because suddenly. They got the ball to Sakala. They were able to penetrate down Celtic's left-hand side, and they were start, started to find some joy. Taverni was then able to start getting some crosses into the box. And I think that was what turned uh, the sort of momentum. But again, outside of the two goals they scored, very and again, one of these things where, where these things happened quickly. Again, their, their penalty was, James talked about fortune. Um, their penalty was very fortunate. For me, you know, Starfelt's foot, and Sakala's foot come together at exactly the same moment, and therefore he, I, I, I didn't have a problem with that penalty being being given. 
Um, it was unfortunate. But having said that, Starfelt made it unfortunate with his decision mm-hmm. to go to ground when he had no he had no need to do that. All he had to do was get out Sakala and just stop him from getting the ball across and block and just stay on his feet. So it was an awful decision, and he got punished for it in, in, a, in a very uh, a very extreme way. But outside of that, again, they, they, they you know they didn't create a huge a huge amount. Listen, for me, the most important context of all of this is. This was clearly a physically hampered Celtic team. That was their that that's this. I know they've had a lot of injuries. That is the strongest starting eleven they could possibly put out. Okay, that's the, that's their strongest starting eleven. I don't I don't think there's anyone else who's out that would have strengthened that that first eleven. Where they were weak was they didn't have much depth on the bench. So a Hadji or a Lawrence would be a good option to bring on, but they're not going to strengthen any of the players that are, are on that on that pitch. They had to win that game. They had to win it, mm-hmm. and, and they couldn't get it over the line. And and so I think domestically, I know that James will say some of Celtic's response to to, to the pressing that that, that that they did do was was wasn't good, um, and that you know the weaknesses around our ability to break down that defence. Completely agree with all that. It's probably still taught us nothing about you know being better at a higher level in Europe, but in terms of domestic dominance, if that's the best that they have. Uh, that 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 that, that it, you know, it all fell for them on that day. Decisions, you know, the the, the bug, the, their their lineup being as strong as it could be, and they couldn't get it over the line. And that's that's what we have to take sort of uh, heart from. And that's not to say there aren't massive learnings and improvements that, of course, that we can uh, that Celtic need to take on board as well. But I think the turning point, going back mm-hmm. to your point, was more the ta- more the Taylor injury. Yeah. So let's talk about. That for just one second. I know there there is a question in on O'Reilly, and I do want to get to him in just one sec. But let's talk about the left back position for a second because Celtic have a backup left back in Bernabe, but he did not get the call to come onto the pitch. Now, given what we know about the bug, do we think it was a bug thing, or do we think it's I don't trust Bernabe tactically in this sort of pressurized game? No, I don't believe that's the case. Um, I believe of all the players in the squad, the two most violently affected were Yota and uh, Bernabe. Okay, so okay. I mean, Bernabe Bernabe was Bernabe was superb when he came on against Hibs in midweek. Mm -hmm. I know the game was the game state was favourable, Celtic were winning, but he was excellent against Hibs. Um, So I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't create a, a story around that. I don't think that's the case. Okay, that makes that a lot shorter of a discussion than I anticipated. So let's move on to O'Reilly then, because um, a question from uh, Gucci Truther, I think it is, and he's saying that uh, O'Reilly looks completely gubbed, which I presume is a Scottish slang word for tired. Uh, He'll be the player of last season again after a rest. So O'Reilly, I mean not very impactful in this game hasn't really been impactful for Celtic in a number of weeks I know he was playing his number of six uh, James but is it, do you think this is tiredness do you think it's um, a systematic issue or what, what do you think is going not so right for O'Reilly this year I I think it's mostly since he's gone back into the um, attacking role um, and again, just to, uh, watching it and uh, obviously watching him, but also looking at um, uh, his performance metrics, it, it's just his passes aren't coming off for whatever reason, right? So when he's taking uh, the chances that he has always taken, 
and trying to, to uh, put, you know, teammates through and, and be more aggressive in creating chances. They're just not coming off. Um, so why is that? I, I who knows? I, I don't know. Um, that's a really complicated question. Um, uh, as far I should say, it's probably a complicated answer. It's a simple question, but, um, yes, I, I, whether he's got, I mean, actually, I mean, his performance relative to defending, pressing, those are all kind of normal. Um, so when I, and even, um, you know, if you look at the, the, the number of attacking passes that he's making, that kind of thing, generally speaking, he's right in line with how he had been performing, uh, in that specific role. Again, not when he was in McGregor's role. Uh, it's just, they're not, it's not coming out in, in a positive way in, in, in the proportionality that they had been, um, it's got to have something to do with. You know, he's had quite a number of uh, iterations playing in front of him on the right wing, right? We haven't really been settled there. Uh, that's been kind of choppy on the right side to, to a pretty significant degree. Could that have an impact? Who knows? You know, again, to, to this point, it's uh, people coming down with various viruses and head colds in, in Glasgow in November and December is not that unusual uh, in my personal experience, uh, as well as... Um, my family that I know over there. So could he have been having a head cold for a week and a half to, I mean, you just don't know. There's so many different things that could contribute to, um, to it, but I, I'm not that alarmed, you know, whether or not you'd want to sub him out. You know, I, I know, I think Alan and I have a reputation of being more skeptics. Um, and that's always been within the context of Europe. I mean, w- would I have a problem with Moy playing, uh, you know, the next three or four games against domestic competition? No. You know, I, I don't think that's going to be a meaningful problem against the vast majority of domestic opponents. So, um, you know, I personally, I kind of like to see guys just kind of work through these kind of issues because, again, it, it doesn't look like he's not giving an effort. You know, it doesn't look like he's an, an unsettled type of player, that kind of thing. It just looks like a guy it's not quite coming off for. Almost mm-hmm. like a, using one of my sports analogies, like a, someone who's in a shooting slump in basketball. Right. And who's a shooter. You just got to shoot through it. Just keep shooting. Eventually it'll come around. Um, so that's kind of what I would like to see with him. But it, unquestionably, like I, th- this is not an eyes versus underlying performance metric thing. Like he has not been up to his, what had been his track record um, over the, la- the past couple of months. So, it, you know, it, it's not as if this is coming out of some kind of a rational narrative or something. I think there's a legit, um, uh, analytical case we made that he he hasn't been great. Yeah, uh, he's he's certainly had three pretty ineffective games in a row. Now I think I believe we can discount the game on Monday for the reasons that we've already talked about, uh, and him being quite badly affected as, as well. But that, I'm, I don't want to. I'm not. I know I'm known as a as a, an O'Reilly fan, but he, you know he he his last two appearances before that his numbers were were not great. Now. Just again, I don't know. I think, as James rightly said, it's it's probably a complicated answer. But just something that occurred to me as, as James was talking there is that his performances, um, especially that Dundee United game at home, uh, and so this is before McGregor came back, so he was still playing in the sixth position. That Dundee United game at home, he he, you know, we, we, you know, a non-analytical phraseology of he literally took the game by the scruff of the net and dragged that team forward and over the line to victory is, is pretty much what he did. <laughs> and that's what the numbers tell you as well. Okay. Now, 
this is a young a young guy who's you know again you know he's he's still finding his way 21 years old um he followed that up with another couple of pretty impressive performances um you know at Aberdeen and at home to Livingston as well tight games where he 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 put in a power of work i just wonder whether the, this almost mcgregor being back he's he took on a lot of responsibility when mcgregor was out of the team in terms of the way he adapted his game he was actually even more impressive in the European Champions League games than he was in the domestic games. I, I, whether he's there's a bit of mental exhaustion there because he's he's had to step up and be that team leader, even though he's not replacing McGregor as captain, he's had to f- play that critical role of that that pivot role that kind of glues everybody together. And whether he's just kind of um, coming off the back of that a little bit now, McGregor's back. It's almost like. Oh, thank God! I can almost kind of relax now, and he's kind of there's all, almost a little, as I say, a little bit of a mental exhaustion. I don't know, right? I'm just speculating, but mm-hmm. there's certainly a noticeable drop off on his performance in the last three games. I think it's a combination of physical that we know, I think we know about, and possibly just a little bit of mental. And, and actually, as as, as uh, James said, taking him out the firing line for a game, we've got some a reasonable set of games coming up now where I think we can again. We can optimize giving people game time, getting everyone up to speed for the for the for the rigors ahead. You know, would it be a great loss if you know, Turnbull sat out the last two games from suspension? I don't know if he's got another one to sit out. You know, if he played instead of O'Reilly for a game, would that be a disaster? No, it mm-hmm. wouldn't. And, you know, so I, I don't know. Just a thought. It might it might be nothing in it, but it it could be something. Yeah, Sp- speaking on the mental aspect of the game and mental tiredness of it, I I think it could be just as simple as the fact that O'Reilly has had to play multiple different roles within the team over the last number of months. And now he's readjusting to the current one that he had, you know, before he played the number six role for McGregor in the champions league, he was playing as the second striker in the press and having to work his balls off in that situation and then get back in and be the number eight and be the link man. And then he had to go back into the number six role and learn a a full new trade there and then once again, now he's finally been pushed back into his regular position. It might just be a, a simple issue of, okay, what do I have to do in this system? Because Ange's system is very complex. It is, it's not just as simple as, okay, here's your number eight. This is, this is where you stand in the pitch. It's where am I supposed to be in relation to every other player that's in, the, in these different uh, segments of the pitch with me. So I, I think it will come. I, I, there's a, I mean, it's insane just, to say that he's still 21 years old because he yeah. he really just is. So yeah, and just just one thing on that then. So you know, if, again, the the big tell in Ange after the game was, was his comment about you know the, these are people, not robots. That was Ange speak for for saying, look, you know, there's been issues here. They're human beings. They did their best. Similarly, if you think about O'Reilly, right? You think look at his personality, look at his character. This is a kid that takes the game incredibly serious, takes his job incredibly seriously. He's not a flippant person. You know, we're not talking about sort of Lee Griffiths levels of, of high intellect here. We're talking about a guy who's who's you know very serious professional, very serious, sensitive young young man who who when given all these jobs to do, is is going to do his damnedest uh, to to do his best. And and I think we we shouldn't underestimate you know the impact like you said of of him having to juggle a lot of new demands. 
and pressures and responsibilities. And it's those responsibilities that can often be more taxing than the actual playing of the football, which is the easy bit. Um, so, yeah, just I think I think it's a, a good point well made. Yeah. And just to finish off with the midfield then, um, Hatate was moved back into the midfield and said he would be anyway going into this game. I thought he did the same thing that you were talking about with O'Reilly against Dundee United by uh, being the guy who sort of lifted. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Celtic got by the scruff at times and put in challenges that he needed to put in and was brave enough to take the ball and turn and try and make something happen. You know, we had the usual Hitate tax of... You know, he might try three to four passes that aren't on, but he'll try them and they won't come off. But uh, I think that's what you're going to have to take with Atate in the midfield. Uh, James, are you of a similar opinion? Do you think Atate was uh, readjusted well into the midfield role or do you think that his loose passing at times impacted Celtic too negatively? Yeah, I'm probably on the, uh, shockingly, uh, I'm on the edge probably of of uh, where consensus seems to be on Atate. I We've all basically got a year now of um, of the Hatate experience at Celtic, and I just don't think you know we I we talked a lot about giving him uh, plenty of time to adjust for all of the reasons in arriving last season, coming straight out of a J League season, and you know changing cultures and continents, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I'm coming down at this point that I don't think he's at the level in that role in the system that we need at the European level. Again, it's always different when you start talking about, is he going to be fine 99% of the time domestically? Yes. Um, but I, I just don't think that his blend is, is um, kind of what we need. Meaning that at this point, I don't think his creativity manifests enough in chance creation, meaning that it comes off and when it does, it looks like that pass he had in, the, in Europe in Champions League, a switch ball across the field. Like he's capable of some of these just outrageously good moments. Um, but on balance, a lot more of them don't come off than probably you'd want to see. And that decision-making, that judgment, um, the dial on that is probably not quite where I'd like it to be. Um, 
And and so, you know, basically what we're seeing from O'Reilly and it's not coming off, that's kind of the Hatate experience all the time. Um, and, and with a little bit more flair when it does come off, but, um, and he's just not a physical presence, his, his stature, uh, he doesn't have game changing speed, you know, he's got decent pace. Uh, he's, he's not, you know, if you look at his defensive output, it's not great either in volume or in efficiency. So he's not that battling eight, you know, number eight that we're going to, so I, I keep coming, I'm coming back to like, okay, what is like, what's his real value proposition? What's he bringing to the table? Um, that isn't something that we can get from somebody else. Um, and outside of those, and, and that can be important, you know, the moments of magic uh, can, can, can be game changers in, in the micro, but um, over, over the course of many games, I, I just, I'm, I'm probably falling out of the Hitate uh, camp is, is, yeah. is where I'm at. There's a comment in here, Alan, from Stephen Losty or Stefan Losty. Um, with Hitate, I get what James is saying. He says, but because Hitate turned pro late, uh, he's like a 25-year-old who is effectively 21. His best is yet to come. Do you fall in that camp? So uh, I thought... To bravo to James, I thought the way that he explained all of that was absolutely prescient. So um, I'm not going to disagree hugely. Um, you know, O'Reilly's 21, um, Turnbull's, what hell's Turnbull now, 22, 23. Hatati's numbers as a number eight, just in terms of creativity, um, are well below. Tur Turnbull, Moy and, and O'Reilly have all got very similar numbers in terms of expected assists and creative passing numbers. And Hatati's have always been a little bit behind, uh, well, a little, well, I say a little bit. You're talking about the difference between 0.25 and 0.35, which is quite significant, be behind behind that. And as James says, there isn't a compensatory defensive um, side to his game that means, well, yeah, but look, he's winning the ball back all the time and he's doing all this dirty stuff that, and blah, blah, blah. There isn't, there isn't that compensatory. And, and, and on top of that, you've got an incre increased number of, on balance, he'll turn the ball all over more than he'll, then he'll, he'll win it back and cause the, the opposition problems with it, with it with forcing them into a turnover. So the question is, you know, will he grow? <laughs> um, and, and we're a year in. And, and, and it was obvious that he was struggling physically, possibly mentally, don't know, um, in terms of, you know, adjusting to life at Celtic as, as the season progressed towards the end of last season. A whole, so he had a whole summer Champions League campaign. Here we are. Um, you know, ha has he really improved? And this is a really difficult conversation because Hatati is a provider of beautiful moments. There's no doubt about that. He's a provider of beautiful moments, and 80% and of fans remember beautiful moments and they, and they forget all the other stuff. Unfortunately, I, I remember all the other stuff. <laughs> and I still remember the beautiful moments. I, I, get, it, I get it both ways. Um, but I study the other stuff, <laughs> and I remember the beautiful moments. And, and if you strip away the beautiful moments and you look at the other stuff, there just isn't enough there. And I, and, I, and I know that's going to get a bad reaction. And I completely get why that is, because of those beautiful moments. And it's an indulgence you can probably live with domestically, as James says. So I'm really just putting in what James said very eloquently. And so if you want to save yourself five minutes on this podcast, just rewind back to the beginning of what James says. Ignore my last five minutes, because I've just repeated what he said in slightly different language. But I'm, unfortunately, hmm. I agree with him. I have to say, I'm going to go against the grain here that I, I think Atate's 
ceiling is incredibly high and it's easier to it's easier to wind in somebody who's a little bit loose with their passing than somebody who's not brave enough to, to attempt those passes in the first <clears> place. So that's where I see some uh, positives within Hatate is that he's a brave player who takes risks and you can, as you mature as a player, and I think that's why it's a, a good point from the person who made that comment, that he's, he's still quite young in terms of his football years, in terms of uh, senior football. And I think he can improve and uh, mature as a, as a midfielder and, maybe say to yourself, okay, that pass is not on. I won't make that. I'll make this five-yard pass instead and do the simple things. Doing the simple things is always tends to be one of the hardest things uh, and one of the hardest things that young players tend to not focus on. I, there's a great story from Roy Keane, uh, the first time that he was played uh, by uh, Nottingham Forest and it was Brian Clough that gave him his debut. And Brian Clough came up to him in the dressing room and said, um, you can pass the ball, you can run, and you can tackle. You're in the starting lineup now this weekend. And I think those are, those are the three things that Hatati needs to just focus on and, and mature and, and improve on. And maybe he won't, maybe he will. We'll just have to wait and see. But I guess to finish this off, is this what we're, why we're seeing Iwata come into the, ta- the side, another midfielder coming into the club? Um, Abelgar didn't really tend to work out. Gucci hasn't worked out. I mean, I'm absolutely shocked that uh, that McCarthy didn't work out. You know, we, we didn't see that one coming. But is is that why we're seeing a water come into the the club now? That maybe Aaron sees this as a potential issue down the line. I you know I think there's enough circumstantial evidence now that um, I, I'm I'm a you know I'm, I'm I'm a jaded skeptical jerk anyway. But um, th- this seems like another example of what we've already seen a lot of, which is opportunity. I mean, that this, Awata, uh, his contract situation and his familiarity with Ange and vice versa, I should say, um, you know, seems to be the keystone of, of why he's coming. Um, so, you know, th- this seems to fit the pattern that we've had, which is old lists, guys on old lists that we, you know, had, scouted or whatever agent whatever you want to call it for a period of time and um they become available so to me this fits that because i i'm still like everything i've looked at and read and done my own little looky do into wada he looks impressive like i think in that number six role i'd even like to see him at center back i know this is always a heresy but um at times particularly domestically i and he's played I think it's about 60 or 65% of his minutes in the J league were at center back. So it's not like he's, you know, a midfielder that's played a little bit of center back. He's, he's played a lot in at center back. So um, my problem becomes, what do we do with McGregor then? Cause I, I'm, you know, uh, he, he is not at the level that we need athletically anymore at, at the uh, champions league level, in my opinion, I've been saying that for a while now. So uh, does that mean we go to, we change shape, we go to a, a double pivot or, and with O'Reilly's a 10, that kind of thing. I, again, that would not be unusual based off of how Ange's managed in the past. So we've, we've been in this very rigid four, three, three for the most part since his arrival in, in attacking, um, and, and it's it's you know it changes intra game. It's a, as you say, and it's a complicated system. For the most part, 
it, it's been with that single pivot. And I, I wonder if this is part of a plan to maybe get more fluid in, in how he's going to have, um, have us line up because particularly as we head into next season, I, I don't know, like we're, we're, we're still in that deficit gap. I mean, I've been saying it for a year and a half now, at least that <laughs> probably my most preferred, um, recruitment priority would be getting a stud number eight, kind of a box, the box, box athletic, you know, someone who can defend at the European level, as well as have some technical skills and creativity. You know, again, those are not that common to come across, obviously, uh, particularly in the price range, but I, I don't think he fits that. And we don't have that still. Um, so, and I don't think McGregor is going to do that. Um, so quality depth. Yes. Hopefully, maybe a little bit at center back at times, because um, his passing—that's the one thing. When I profiled him, his his uh, his passing ability uh, relative to control. I mean, that he doesn't look like he's an elite creative player, but his ball progression and his security on the ball is like an outlier. Like I, I it's you know, I do like a ranking thing when I look at players and their percentile in their league and their peer. And he was basically, I don't know, I think it was like out of 40 different center backs in the J League. Uh, he was number one or two in every single passing um, metric uh, as far as like, you know, accuracy and getting it to where it's supposed to be going, basically. Um, so that, that's a hugely valuable uh, skill set, particularly being press resistant. This is when I get back to the idea of maybe him at center back is part of that is being press resistant. So defending is obviously a big part of it. And he's, I think he's about five ten, Um, so he's not huge, but you know, he's, he's quick, he's pacey, he's good on the ball, very good passing, you know, again, with the absence of that, not happening at, at the keeper position, as we've talked about and CCV not being that either. Um, Again, that's that's where I, I get intrigued about this idea of us having a legit ball playing center back, and I think he could be. He's not left footed, um, and the other center back that we have signed uh, fits that that profile. So, I, I, I my guess is he'll be in a in a pivot, but whether it's one of of a dual pivot or not, I think that'll be the big question. So to finish off by going backward to the defense because. I mean, there was some colossal errors in this game, and I, I, you mentioned one of them uh, earlier on, Alan, and that was uh, Starfelt jumping into that challenge. In my opinion, no matter it's like, firstly, my opinion is that it's a stonewall penalty. Uh, my second is that no matter what your uh, thoughts are on that penalty, Starfelt does absolutely not need to dive in there, and I would be fuming if I was uh, coaching him for doing that because it was so so silly. Um, Juranovic was way out of position uh, for the first goal. And uh, I think that comes from his uh, sort of eagerness to, to, to be in uh, at an early stage for the press. I think he thought Alan McGregor was going to go short and he would have to go to Tavernier because Maeda had gone narrow. But in any Sorry, case, you wait for you wait for your trigger. So he was he was technically cheating, quote unquote cheating, trying yes. to break Agreed. the trigger Agreed. and get there early. Um, and he was mildly out of position as a result. Do we think uh, that Kobayashi coming in and like James says, potentially Iwata being a potential centre back? Um, do we think that Starfelt's out of the team 
now because look, I, I think a large part of this is down to Juranovic playing left back and he was sort of thrown off by that and overcompensating in, in large uh, swaths of the game. But it doesn't look great for the likes of Starfelt who is starting to make mistakes now that Celtic have another centre-back to come in at left left centre-back. Yeah, I mean, Starfelt, after starting the game very well, made a number of... I mean, every game, every single game, every single game, uh, he, he gives the ball away uh, with a, just a really lazy pass and allows the opposition to break on Celtic right for a dangerous situation. And he did that twice, actually, uh, as well as the, the, the penalty. Um, listen, he's not going to, as I said many times with Starfelt, he's not going to change now, right? He's an experienced player. He's in his late 20s. Um, he, he is what he is, right? What, you know, the, the, the strength of him being a front foot aggressive defender similar to the sort of Argentinian model of centre-backs, if you like, topical, um, isn't going to change. And, the you know, the quid pro quo of that is that he will over he will overstretch, he will overreach, he will get literally get pulled under the ball on occasions and metaphorically try and win things that he can, and, 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 and like, like the penalty, for example. Um, we know he's an awkward customer when it comes to trying to distribute the ball, his body shape is exacerbated on the being on the left where he's having to you get himself contorted to turn his body to pass the ball with his right foot. None of these things are going to change that I see. So we absolutely need, to, it's an area that we need to um, uh, improve because, you know, we've got a benchmark in Carter Vickers that I think is, you know, an exceptional player and is the sort of quality of player we need to build a squad of equal, equal players. And if we can do that, we've got a serious team, right? So I don't know. I don't, I, I honestly don't know a lot about Kobayashi as to whether he is that, I'll be honest with you. I believe he's a very, very good passer of the ball, and he is left-footed. But as we all know, he will get judged with how he how he deals with Joel Newblay on a Tuesday night at Livingston when the ball's coming down with snow on it. That's how he's going to get judged, right? And so we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Um, otherwise, I would say the trends are towards getting uh, more athletic, versatile intelligent footballers and I say that because that's the that's how we'd characterize Alistair Johnson that's how we'd characterize um, Iwata as well as my understanding is they are both players who will happily play different positions and uh, in, uh, in fact seem to thrive on being given new problems to solve they're both as James says similarly 5-11-5-10 good athletic individuals good good strength I mean it's funny that you mentioned Roy Keane um, that was mentioned to me today in relation to Iwata. Um, I'm not going to burden him with unrealistic expectations. It's just in terms of a, a similar style of play. I mean, because actually, you know, I think you, you had it spot on. And Roy Keane's greatest strength was the extent to which he simplified a very difficult position. He, and, and, and he nearly always made the right decision. And uh, so if, 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 if it is true that Iwata similarly plays the game in that way and he seems like a very intelligent player, then that, that, that'll be a good start. I, I'm not sure either of those signings shift the dial in, in a European level in terms of individual quality, but is there the potential for them to be coherent within a system? Because as we've seen with Ange, the powers in the system, not necessarily the, uh, the individuals. And that's what's allowed us to absorb the likes of Starfelt and and not very athletic, Ralston and Taylor, who both you know, is that is that they're all three of them and include Starfelt in this. They're all good characters. They're all great professionals. 
they're all going to work their socks off for the team and do everything they can. Are they going to do stupid things or are they going to be, going to be incapable of doing some things that we want them to do at the highest level? Yes, they are, because that's that's where, where we are. But you cannot fault their commitment, their you know, and their, and their willingness to, to learn and adapt to the system that Ange wants. So if he's bringing in players that are an optic athletically, we don't know if they're an optic on a, on a quality perspective, and they fit the system, then I think we're moving forward incrementally. May not be by much, but then all you can expect is progress, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so just to finish off, I will be uh, <clears throat> absolutely torn to shreds if I don't mention the handball in the derby game. Um, so was the Yorkshire Whistler, was he involved in this? Do you have a look at the game yet? He has, and, and, and we're kind of mid-dialogue on it. <laughs> Oops. Sorry, I stopped my own camera. There. I, yeah, we're mid-dialogue on, on it, uh, is, all, is all I'll say. Um, I'll go on then, why not? We're, you know, I'll, I'll reward the, 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 the 20 of you that are uh, watching this live, or however many it is. That, um, yeah, he, he supported both decisions, both penalty decisions, um, as he often as he often does, because he's not here to satisfy Celtic supporters. He's here to give an honest, professional opinion uh, as as an expert. I think it's based on the proximity of Goldston to the actual to the actual shot. Now, my point personally, just a personal opinion, would be, you know, Starfelt was having a shot at goal. If you moved Goldston and Starfelt five yards towards the goal, effectively would have happened. Would, would Goldston would have pushed the ball over the bar with both hands and I cannot imagine any football kind in the world that you wouldn't have had a penalty for that on but putting all that to one side and given that each individual decision as I say can be as we know from the handball rule uh, can be interpreted uh, lots of, seemingly uh, infinite in a number of ways um, I, I would be shocked honestly I was shocked it wasn't given I actually called it straight away believe it or not my my, my, my old eyes picked, picked on it I said to to my daughters, watch that's a handball. I'm sure that's the handball. Go back. No, no, not many people saw it in real time. In fact, I don't think many on the pitch did. And 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 you know, f- to be fair to Beaton, Beaton, you can see him saying to players, "I didn't see it." Just like, oh, that's fair enough. That's what VAR is for. But when you see Goldston bring his arms together and then push the ball up like that, now this all happens in a fraction of a second, obviously, and we've got the benefit of slow motion replay. But um, you know, to me, it looks an obvious, an obvious penalty and. You know, but the paradigm is that if in doubt, you know, you don't penalise the Rangers. That's the paradigm. That's if you want, if you want to discern a pattern about decision making. I'm not saying you couldn't justify that not giving that penalty. You can justify not giving that penalty by the 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 the, the guidance around proximity and the fact that his arms are tucked into his body and this, and, and this sort of thing. But when you see when you see the when you see it, Fall one side or the other, and it falls the same side time and time. How many, how many coin flips that you know end up going heads in a row? Do you have before you say there's something wrong with this coin? <laughs> you know what I mean? Now I, I don't know the answer to that, but at the moment it's a lot, right? Since VAR was introduced, it's every single one. Now that could just be bad luck, right? But we'll still we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll wait and see. Um, either way, I think we're coming away from this game positive, positive, positive. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. Po- the result was positive. Again, given all the the, the externalities, how we performed, um, the disparity, and you know the um, 
meaning of the game between the two clubs. I mean, they really needed it. Um, whereas, you know, a draw suits us fine. As far, as far as the title race goes, couldn't be happier. Um, you know, as I kind of opened up with, I think that there are some legacy questions about system matchup on a head-to-head -head basis. And I, and I think that's, uh, I'm not, it's a question. I'm not making any declarative statements. I'm, I'm interested to see when we're at kind of full blast, um, everyone's fit, charging, you know, ready to go. We might get that, uh, you know, the way it's lining up, we could be in a, lined up for a cup final. And I think it's at the end of February for the league cup is how it falls this season. Um, you know, so that could be interesting. And, and I think it'll be a good litmus test for, you know, the, the Beal regime, so to speak, um, and, and how he's going to play against us. Um, so that's, again, that's purely an analytical point. Um, um, but yeah, I, I mean, as just from a, a result perspective, I, uh, uh, delighted, I think is the word that people use, right? Yeah, I think the fact that number one, Celtic didn't play well. Uh, number two, again, the penalty for Golton, it should have been a penalty. Number three, you look at the bench and you've got Jota, Jakimakis. You didn't have Haksabanovic. You didn't have uh, key players in the midfield. You're playing your first choice right back at left back because your first choice left back went off with a hamstring injury midway through the game. You've got a right back who's making his debut in the biggest game of the season. And they threw everything they could at Celtic and Celtic came away with a draw and are still nine points ahead. I think that does a lot more mentally for the team. The fact that, you know, things were not going right going into this game. They didn't go right during the game, but yet here they are. The result was still a draw for Celtic. So overall, I can't take anything but positivity from that. In the uh, end. Quick, quick, quick shout out. You mentioned Johnson. <laughs> we had a questioner who's watching live. Uh, Kookaburra. I don't know what that is, but um, yeah, just quick on, on the data side. I mean, I, you know, obviously there was the, the Kent goal, but outside of that, yeah, I don't know what, if you've gone through the game, Alan, but from what I've looked at, um, yeah. he played a fairly defensive, res, you know, um, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot going forward. Uh, ball progression was good and, and overall the defending was good with that one exception, obviously, but um, yeah, a lot, lot you know, we, I think we were relatively uh, optimistic on that signing and um, dropped into a tough spot and I think came out pr pretty good. He Have you got a chance the, to look at the, the data for a moment? Score. Yeah, yeah he, had, he had the highest packing score in the whole of, of anyone in the team. He was 13 yep. ahead of Maeda. So trying to make that a little bit less abstract, what's the reason for that? Um, it was mainly... Um, well, actually, it was it was a nice it was a nice mix. It was passing for, forward passes. I would say he was probably after the two centre backs. He was probably next on the list in terms of um, number of forward passes that were taking their opponents out of the game. Um, he did he, he only he didn't recover the ball at all. But fullbacks tend to be less so anyway. It was one turnover that he gave up in that respect. And then on the sort of receiving side, he was actually um, the th again third highest in terms of receiving the ball on that side, so getting forward and being in forward positions to receive forward passes. That was that was a nice a nice mix, I thought. And also his defensive stats were quite good. His his defensive action success rate, sixty four percent, is good for a good for a centre back. Um, you know, it would probably be any, anywhere sort of sixty plus, sixty percent up 
is 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 uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of okay with that. So I thought it was a really strong, really strong um, debut. But what 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 I liked as well was just he looked like he was confident, like he looked like it didn't phase him at all. I mean, he, you know, telling Sakala where to go after a few minutes, haranguing the ball boys for not getting off their arse and giving him the ball. He he looked like he was full of it and uh, flying into a Lindstrom a couple of times as well for good measure. I know these are the sort of little things that can exercise fans that are meaningless from a data perspective, but it you know it takes a lot for a young kid like that to come across and be thrown into that atmosphere as your first up game. And he, he did really well. Yeah, I was going to say that, that I think, you know, personality wise, I think he's going to really warm himself to the Celtic fans because he just seems like a really good guy. Seems like a fiery character who's going to uh, just love, seem, seems to love the game. And that's, abs- again, absolutely meaningless. I don't know if that's true, but it just, that's what uh, comes across from you, his. Uh, you could imagine he'll, he'll still get stuck in in training as well, don't you? You could just see it. He's going to mm-hmm. train yeah. at the same intensity. And that's going to, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a good thing. It's what, it's what you need that injection yeah big time that's where we'll park it for today i think we covered pretty much everything and everything that uh, people wanted us to cover in the comments as well hopefully we did and if not sure we'll cover them at some point uh, in the near future in the next couple of podcasts if you were watching live and this is your first time on the channel do subscribe to the channel if you enjoyed the podcast and you want to get more of it and you can get the podcast on itunes and spotify as well just search the huddle breakdown it should come up for you no problem at all alan james thanks very much Thanks, Ender. Thanks, Thanks, Alan. Thanks, guys. Okay, we shall chat to you next week. Good luck. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. It's all about the game. And are you playing? It's all about control And if you can take it It's all about your debt And if you can pay it It's all about pain And who's gonna make it? I am the game You don't wanna play me I am control No way you can shake me I am heavy debt No way you can pay me I am the pain And I know you can't take me Look over your shoulder Ready to run Like a Cleveland bitch From a smoking gun I am the game And I may do